Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You listen to the AZ Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Mike Luke, joined by the great William Brad Alice. Reminder that this is brought to you by DraftKings. Great thing about DraftKings is that now with the betting being legal, you can hop on there and it's easy to do. It's easy to find. And you know what? A lot of people, they go on there and they're like, man, I can't find this. I can't find that. DraftKings is incredibly easy for anybody to be able to navigate. Heck, my mom was even able to find it. And you know what? If you do have a little bit of a uh, gaming problem, Problem, you can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Eligibility restrictions apply, uh, one per customer. So, all right, Brad, let's talk a little bit about Ludolson and the way that he was sent off this past week. First and foremost, when you think about Lute, what are your thoughts? I think in many ways, Lute came in as my sports interest was growing. Uh, you know, he came in in, what, 83? I'm 10 years old. That's right about the time you start watching sports. So by the time Arizona was ready to go to that first tournament, um, it legitimized Arizona. You know, I remember watching the selection show, how different it is now, at a, a store selling TVs, like a, an appliance store. And I watched, and I'm like, hey, we got in. That's really cool. Um, and then it just for the next 20-some-odd years, I said the same thing every selection uh, Sunday. So, uh, he, you know, Tucson grew with Loot. And while Loot did not necessarily grow Tucson, I don't think you can ignore his impact on the community. I mean, Tucson was about 100,000 when he got here. And then, you know, we're about a million if you count Pima County now. And um, he put Tucson on the map. He was the face of Tucson. And, and what a great face it was. He was a class act. He was a winner. He did it with dignity. He did it with class. He did it looking like a million bucks. So um, I don't think there could be a better representative of Tucson, Arizona, um, than Lute Olson in the University of Arizona. And you know, I was I was a kid. Um, then in my teen years, went went there. I remember having to not only fight to get those tickets, but I found a loophole, so I was able to get season tickets my entire five years at the U of A. And and beyond, you know, the national championship is still one of the best nights of my life. And, uh, you know, Luke will be missed. He has been missed. It's as good as the Sean Miller run was. Um, it just wasn't quite the same. Um, you know, Luke's in many ways, Luke, you know, you funny because Luke, you know, with his marriages, Luke's our first love when it comes to Arizona basketball, at least for me, I miss the Snowden era. So um, I thought the sendoff was nice. I wish it had been maybe publicized a little bit better. Um, I didn't even realize the public could go until about the day before. Um, but seeing all those former players and, and seeing um, Roz being able to send him off with the rocky relationship they had, sending 
interesting, just, you know, the impact he had. Like, not many players who played for Loot aren't successful some way in life. Sure, we've got the millionaire basketball players, but we've got Harvey Mason, who is, you know, maybe the richest out of all of them and the music producer. You have uh, guys like Joe McClain, who does, like, that high-end investing. You've got guys who are teachers. You've got guys who are police officers. You've got guys whose kids have continued to play. Um, so you go to his first players, like a Pete Williams, who still honors Lute, to some of his last players who still honor Lute. And that's just kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, when I look at it, Brad, I think to myself that this is a program that had a very natural feel to it, a feel that you felt like you were part of the program. And I don't know that that's the way that it really is around other places around the country. And I think a lot of that was just because of, Tucson is unique, but you could go into practice. You felt like you knew the players. Even until the end, you felt like you always had an invested interest in the team, which to me is a lot bit different than what you see in college basketball now. I mean, heck, even with the Sean Miller time, it was much different because you didn't feel that you really knew those players. Everything was kind of cut off. It was kind of this foreign entity that was playing in your city, whereas with Loot, it felt like you were part of that actual team, the building of the program. You were living and dying with them. Well, I think part of it was Loot um, gave access to his players. Even when he cut off practice, I mean, I until the very end, of the, maybe through the entire Loot Olsen era, you would have his weekly press conference, but you'd just mingle, whether it was on the floor or in the hall that led to the weight room. And you'd just get players. So you could have a one-on-one conversation or a two-on-one, and you'd be like, Steve Rivera, let me talk. You know, um, Right. But I remember sitting down and literally just talking to Ricky Anderson for like 20 minutes on what it was like to be Luth's whipping boy. Um, and just a candid conversation. I had a great conversation with Salim, of all people. We got talking about the NBA and how he liked to come home and watch NBA games and how that was his way to relax. And you, you just don't get that now. Um, you know, there's a great moment that we were well-known enough. I was sitting uh, at dinner at a pizza place here, and at the table next to me were, was the team. And at one point, Channing Fry taps me on the shoulder to clarify a stat for him because he was comfortable enough with me, and we weren't bothering him. But he's like, hey, reporter guy, um, did we beat – so-and-so last year or this year, you know, that kind of thing. It was funny. You know, so you had a relationship with the players. I mean, you've seen that as guys like Anthony Gimino and, and uh, you know, Jason Shear and yourself can still go back and talk to some of the players. You know, you, you've seen it with Steve Rivera, who used to go on walks with Loodles, and you've seen it with Brian Jeffries being able to just pick up the phone and, and, and talk to some of these guys. I'm not sure how many um, of the Miller-era players – that happens with unless you happen to have like maybe covered them in recruiting because you weren't building connections with them when they were here. Yeah, and Arizona basketball then became somewhat of an empire that I don't think that we're ever going to see again. And let's kind of talk about how you get here. Lute Olson takes over a program that had won four games the previous year. We all know that. And then basically four or five years later, you're in the final four. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know what? Sean Elliott really helped that. Yeah, that's that's true. But this was going to happen either way, Brad. You could tell by bringing in guys like Pete Williams and Eddie Smith that something like this was going to happen. Sean Elliott just expedited the process. It was kind of a perfect you know, merging of events where you've got an all-time great, and oh, lo, lo and behold, he's actually in your backyard. 
Yeah, you know, they got lucky on several occasions. I think, you know, Pete Williams and Eddie Smith being as good as they were right away. Um, obviously, Sean Ayla, but Steve Kerr. Um, the one, the two things I think get overlooked about Luth is his. Somehow I activated some of my face. Uh, it's his ability to identify talent that other people don't see. Are you there, Mike? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, sorry. Uh, whether that was Steve Kerr, whether that was um, Miles Simon, who, who wanted to go to other schools and they didn't want him, whether that was Gilbert Arenas, and his ability to get these guys ready to play right away in November. And that kind of changed towards the end as they let you have more practice time. But the reason Lute won all those tournaments is he was able to get those guys ready to play and ready to play fast. And his ability to develop them then between their freshman and sophomore years. And then, that, again, that's the biggest difference. He didn't rely on many one-and-dones. Um, that was pre the one-and-done era, and he shied away from those guys anyways. Um, he had a lot, a lot of two-and-dones at the end. So I think when you look at all that, uh, that's really what made Lute special. Um, you know, being able to be the only other guy to offer Steve Kerr a scholarship other than, like, what, Cal Irvine. Um, being able to find a Gilbert Arenas who – is a generational talent, and he had no other Pac-12 offers. I mean, down the line, you can look at guys like that, and then, you know, you luck into a Sean Elliott. You luck into a couple, you know, you get a couple transfers because things go sour, whether it's at Maryland or Kentucky. Um, being able to find, you know, a diamond in the rough, you know, Kenny Lofton. He was a 5'10 point guard from Gary, Indiana, and you're able to, you know, get him to, to come in and, he ends up being a great baseball player. So it was that story after story, and that's all, they all seem to have great stories too, which was I thought very interesting as well about the Lou Olson era. It's a shame that '88 team didn't win the national title because they would have made a great movie. It, yes, you have they, the local kid. You have Steve Kerr. You've got a character like Tolbert. Um, that would have been such a great movie. It would have been a great movie, and what's what's impressive about it as well. I look back on the Arizona tenure under loot and again we talked about from about 88 to 03 where you're one of the top five programs in the nation you had brad probably five teams that you could easily argue were the best team in the country you had 88 you had 89 you had 98 you had 01 and you had 03 now granted arizona only won one and it was in a year that i didn't even mention but that showed you just what the sustained excellence was well you had all these other programs duke had a, a dip year north carolina had a couple uh, kansas kentucky Arizona didn't have any dip years. Your absolute, your worst seeding in the NCAA tournament in that 15-year run was a five seed. Yeah, remember they they weren't anything less than a five until '04, and then what happens the very next year? I'd argue that team might have been as good as anyone. And if you don't have the collapse in Chicago, they're playing North Carolina for the national title, and I think they were better than that Carolina team. Like, it really took an utter bizarre collapse. Which, and again, I hate to be blaming the official guys, but. That game was officiated different for three minutes. Um, but, you know, you just look at that. Imagine that. Yes, they did not only did they not miss the tournament, they were basically all but one year a four seed or better. And how many times were they the one or the two? Um, it was just a remarkable run. You look, I like to go to the Wikipedia page where they have the color coded with either league title or, um, you know, conference tournament title and those yellows. And Luke's whole biography looks like a legal pad. I mean, it's pretty astounding what he was able to do because he did it for 20-plus years. UCLA went up and down twice during that era. 
You know, we had a spike at Oregon under Ernie Kent for like two years because they had good point guards. We had a little spike with Washington. Stanford was really the main rival, and even that was about an eight-year span. During that whole time, it was Arizona and Lute Olson, and that's what's astounding. It's not just how long they did it, um, but how consistent they were in doing it. I mean, a bad year with seven losses. If DraftKings was around back when Lute Olson was around, you'd probably want to put in some money and probably put over on the wins and the over in each game. Great thing about DraftKings when you download the app is it's $200 in free bets when you place $1 on any free game, on any NFL game. That That's promo code PHNX to get you $200 in free bets instantly. DraftKings Sportsbook. If you're 21 or plus and you have a gambling problem, give a call to 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only for free bet promotion. You got a minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. Eligibility restrictions apply. Max $50 for no-brainer offer. One per customer. And see DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for more details. And if you're, like I said, if you're looking to put something in there, it's easy. And I know a lot of people that made some money you might want to go ahead and do that one as well all right brad every arizona became known as point guard you and to me there was everybody talks about steve kerr and he was certainly the first great one but the issue what i found the guy that i think turned everything for them was damon stoudemire because damon stoudemire was the first guy that came in that i think made arizona sexy and this was around the time of your Allen Iversons and your Stefan Marbury's. He was just a year or two before them. But he was essentially the West Coast Allen Iverson and that he was must watch TV. And I think he was the first guy that basketball players looked at and said, I want to be like him. He was the one that I think really metamorphosized the program into point guard you and i think he also was the one that allowed loot to be able to go from kind of the bigger tucson skyline type philosophy to a quicker more up-tempo style yeah i mean we saw that and that was the thing with loot loot reinvented himself three or four times in arizona remember they had the tucson skyline it was brooks it was williams it was brian david um and then all of a sudden he found himself in what 94 with three guards three incredibly athletic guards. Khalid Reeves, who was maybe the most skilled of the bunch that year. And Khalid Reeves' senior season is among the two or three best seasons in Arizona history. Damon, yeah, Damon was the guy. And then Reggie Geary. So what would a lot of coaches do? Well, I'll bring Reggie off the bench. You know, he's, he, he doesn't score as well. He's a really good defender. No, Luke, Luke just like, yeah, you're my small forward. Oh, yeah, and then I'm going to put a 6'7 guy who's really a, a, a small forward at the four. And then I'm going to put a 6'7 guy who we're going to list at 6'9 at the five. So Arizona went small ball before there was small ball. Remember, Ray O's at the, at the power forward was launching threes from that. That corner three was deadly for Ray O's. They, I mean, Luke was so ahead of his time, but he realized we're getting run off the floor by these mid-majors. So what am I going to do? I'm going to play the same style as mid-majors, but I'm just going to do it with five NBA guys or four NBA guys. And that was it. But, yeah, Damon was the guy. And people forget how good – there's two guys – three guys really I think get overlooked in Arizona history that were great. And one is Damon. One is Chris Mills. I think Jason Gardner's getting forgotten too. He's probably the third best of that bunch. But those guys were remarkable. And Damon was so good, so fast. He could score in a variety of ways, whether it was going to the hole, whether it was pulling up from three – he could get other people involved. 
a good defender, maybe not a great defender, but a good defender. And again, he had what a twelve-year NBA career that showed why. And now we're probably four or five years away from him being an NBA head coach if he keeps on this path. So, what was Lute able? You, guy. Brad, you followed uh, Lute during the recruiting process. How was he able to find these guys again? These and this really bears mentioning these were a lot of regional recruits that we were talking about here again a lot of northwestern ki- or not a lot of kids from the northwest but these were guys that were not household names these weren't the mike bibbies of the world coming out what was he looking for and how was he able to be able to make that one happen you know i, I don't remember all that i was basically damon was a contemporary of mine so i think i was in high school when he was in high school um we were at the u of a basically at the same time but that was pre-internet but Lute did a few things. One, Lute was great with the high school coaches. He was also great with the club coaches. He also was one of the first to use the media. Um, back then, he would, you know, the old Catrax magazine used to go to the recruiting events. They would talk to kids. They would make connections. Um, you know, he was tight with guys like Frank Burleson, the Long Beach Press-Telegram. He was tight with the guys making those you know, 900 numbers and the thing. So he was able to get tips on kids. I can't tell you how many recruiting events I was at when I was in the media where you just see random people stopping, not only to talk to Lute, but his assistants, whether it was Rodney Tension, you'd see these high school coaches going, you got to go see my guy. Um, whether it was, you know, media members, whether it was, uh, you know, small coaches who knew, okay, we can't get this guy, but this kid's better than the Mountain West. You know, you'd see the guy from, the D2 school going, no, you got to see this guy. And that happened over and over. And Luke could walk into a gym, watch a kid for five minutes, and decide that he might be Arizona good. And some of them, yeah, Gilbert was one of those guys. Jordan uh, Hill was one of those. No, he missed sometimes. I remember hearing that Luke was infatuated with a guy named Diamond Simpson who ended up going <laughs> to Pepperdine. But they watched him long enough to evaluate where other teams would not even evaluate. Um, and that was Luke's key. He could go into the gym, see, and he looked for athleticism. Um, you know, Kirk Walters was not a great player, but he was good enough. Luke spotted that because here's this, you know, 6'10 kind of goofy kid, but he could actually move better than a lot of other guys his size. And Luke would become infatuated with that. He'd look for ways. And that was the other thing. Once he got the kids on campus, how can I use them? Oh, wait, we're not a great three-point shooting team? Okay, well, we better figure out a way to get him into the lane. I mean, how many guys did Loot have that had their own? I used to say those guys in the 90s reminded me of, like, the video games. We they, had to, they really did. Well, you had to get a guy into the right spot, and then he could score at will. You know, if you ever played the old, like, Suns versus Bulls games. Yes, like, exactly. And if you just got to the right spot, every single time, they would be able to make it. Well, remember, we had Judd Bushler with the jump stop in the lane, or was it Miles Simon leaner at the elbow, or maybe it was Damon's pull-up, or maybe it was Jason Gardner's step-back. They all had – he didn't teach the same move to each guy, but each guy had a move or two or three that they could rely on, and then Lute would find ways to get that guy in the spot to make him successful. So I look at it, and I think to myself that this is one of the top ten college basketball coaches of all time. A lot of people will say, you know, he's only got the one title. But for me, Brett, it's how he did it. 
this is it's different than other coaches who are at blue blood programs. He went to Iowa and made a final four. Then he came out to Arizona and turned it into an empire. So to me, I grade what Lute Olson was able to do differently. The only thing that I think you look at it, and he probably should have had multiple titles. I think that's the only fair criticism of Lute as the coach. I think there were two criticisms. One, yeah, he doesn't. He his some of his teams came up short, um, and there were the early round defeats, which. When you really look now, we see it a lot more than we did then. Um, I think those are the two. I, I, as I've long said, if we're in the internet hot take era, Lute would be more loved and more hated than he was. Because um, you, you would have the Lute people who recognize what he was doing with the Damons and with the, uh, you know, the, the Richard Jeffersons and, and all those guys. I, you know, I would argue Wing Ford used an even better name for Arizona. And you would have his, his, you know, a Colin Cowherd would love loot, you know, because he, I can sound smarter than every guy in the room. Conversely, you know, a guy like Doug Gottlieb would probably hate loot. No, he did hate loot anyway because loot didn't recruit him. But then he'd point to those losses. You know, that stretch from like 89 to 93 would have been awful in this modern age where Arizona lost, what, three times in the first round and twice in the Sweet 16. So, yeah, in many ways, I think loot. Luke's legacy benefits from not being around in the more modern era. It also gets hurt because, again, how many NBA guys um, did Luke produce and how many quality NBA guys? Not a lot of superstars, but at one point he had, I think, five more than any other college, and that included Duke in Carolina and Kentucky. Um, You know, he may not have the star power that Calipari had, but he was doing what Calipari did. I mean, every draft was two or three or four Arizona guys. And uh, they stuck around a long, long time. Sean Rooks, a guy like Sean Rooks, 10 years. And Tom Tolbert spent a decade in the NBA. Steve Kerr, multiple rings. I mean, you just look at it. It's not even the best athletes. It was just guys who could play basketball and knew, you know, how to make coaches happy. You know, you look at what Andre has said, that it wasn't until he got to the NBA that he realized what Luke taught him because Luke taught him how to be a professional basketball player. Yep. DraftKings.com is the place that you're going to want to rock and roll. We got college basketball coming up, but you know what? Right now, it's all about the NFL. And if you watched my Arizona Cardinals, you know that they're going to be pretty good this year. And Kyler Murray, I think, is a guy that is going to be doing some really nice things. So you want to hop on to DraftKings.com, or excuse me, the DraftKings app, put in code word PHNX. And that'll get you, if you put down $1 on an NFL game, that is going to get you a $200 Free play. Like I said, it doesn't get much better than that. That's what we're talking about. $200. And you know what? You can parlay that into a lot of stuff. If you got a gambling problem, you should go to 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only for the free bet promotion. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. Eligibility restrictions apply. $50 wager for no-brainer offer, one per customer. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you like what we're doing right here, if you've been listening to the podcast, if you've been listening to the live streams, you should go check out PHN, go PHNX. Got a lot of good stuff there. We got daily articles. We got live streams. We got podcasts. Basically covering everything in the state of Arizona, everything that is important to you. Go PHNX has. You should also follow follow on the podcast. Follow uh, 
at uh, AZ underscore Wildcats for me. You can go to the different PHNX websites, follow them, follow them on Twitter as well. This isn't going anywhere, and it's only going to get better. All right, Brad, we were going to talk a little bit of football, but I'll tell you what, we got one more segment, and I don't want to talk football. I want to keep this one on Lute Olson because of how much he meant to, I think, both of us. Now, do you? Uh, my biggest regret about the Lute Olson era is that I think I took it I think I took it for granted. My, It felt to me like my rite of passage was a Final Four every four years. And we found out in the, 20, in the last 20 years, that's nobody's rite of passage. Do you think the fans knew what was happening at the time? I think some of us did because for some of us, you know, I remember being a kid and I started getting to college basketball somewhere about 10 or 11, maybe a little bit earlier than some kids. And I used to remember waking up and CBS would show games on Sunday. And this is back before cable. So Sunday meant I had nothing to watch, uh, you know, during the spring, during the, the winter. You know, it was my, I would actually tape kid shows on the VHS, and I had, you know, the top-loading VHS, and to watch them on Sunday, except I started watching basketball. And who was I seeing? I was seeing North Carolina and Virginia, you know, those Ralph Sampson teams, a lot of Georgetown, a lot of Big East basketball. Um, Arizona was playing in things called, like, the Pillsbury Classic. I didn't know what that was. The Pillsbury you know, Classic. UNLV bat. It was one of those one of those tournaments. I remember they won the Pillsbury Classic. I was like, that must be important. And my dad's like, no, no, it's not. Um, you know, I actually liked UNLV because they were the only West Coast team we saw. Right. And then, you know, Luke came. And I remember, you know, I watched those early teams. I somehow remember getting very excited in 1986 and turning on my dad's TV. My parents had an upstairs bedroom because you couldn't get channel – I think it was 11, anywhere else in the house. And having to literally, like, hold – and my dad, my, my parents are asleep, and I'm watching these two freshmen play. And it's Sean Elliott and it's Anthony Cook. And I remember watching through the fuzz and just being like, this is cool. And then that was the time I'm reading Sports Illustrated, and I'm reading the sporting news. And Well, all of a sudden, you know, 88 comes around, and – now Arizona's not just around 25, they're climbing. And I remember that run. And I remember listening to the Great Alaskan Shootout on the radio because I didn't have cable. Um, and I remember watching, of all things, the Iowa game uh, in a hospital because my uncle was in the hospital. I remember my dad and I and my uncle watching that game. And suddenly somewhere, you know, early December, you realize this seems really good. And then somewhere around January, you realize this is really, really good. This is really, really good. And you know what's different, too? This was back during the Pac-12, or the Pac-10, excuse me, when the Pac-10 was good. Now, again, it wasn't like it was good top to bottom, but UCLA was always in that top 10 conversation, especially during Jim Herrick. Mike Montgomery always was there. Oregon every now and then would be good. Cal every now and then would be good. It was a much better conference than what we've seen over the last 10 to 12 years. Because they held the West Coast down, with the exception of guys going to UNLV. Um, you know, there was no Gonzaga yet. There was no, you know, Carolina wasn't coming for LA guys very often. You know, it was pre, it was pre uh, almost, but you know, pre Roy Williams going to Kansas. That's really when the West Coast raid started. Roy Williams was really the first guy to come in. Um, you know, Duke came in like for guys like Alaire, but in the end, Billis. But for the most part, West Coast guys stayed on the West Coast. So you had. You know, you had the Bay Area guys. You had those Oakland kids staying at Cal or going down to UCLA. The L.A. kids stayed 
You know, you ironically enough, Lute actually got the cast off from L.A. more often than not. So, yeah, it was a special time, and he was doing it at such a high level, and he was playing everybody, and he would play them at their place. You know, I remember going to Iowa, going to uh, Carolina, going into, you know, wherever, you know, playing – or those neutral site games started later. But he played everyone, and he beat everyone. And that's why, yeah, I remember just looking, and I used to do this thing where I would uh, write down the top 25, and that would subtract the wins from the losses, and I'd create what I called the Brad Power number. And I just remember Arizona's was always really high, and that was always really cool to see. Brad, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, again, if you're listening, you should go to PHN, go PHNX, or and you should also go and download the uh, download the podcast. Uh, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, AZ underscore Wildcats. We're gonna. I've been bothering Brad, so Brad's gonna be a regular on this, as are some other uh, really informative people. But Brad, it's been a lot of fun going down memory lane with Loot, my man, and. Uh, Let's, uh, let's catch up next week and let's talk some Arizona football if that works for you. Absolutely, yeah. You may, may we'll have some fun to talk about next week. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, hopefully we're coming off a win at that point, right? They should. Yeah. Who knows? Brad says with a question mark. Big question mark. I look like the Riddler. <laughs> All right. For Brad Ellis, I'm Mike Luke. Thanks for tuning in.